This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. A self-described archaeology geek, Aaron Lipkin, had no idea where his curiosity would lead him. His love for history and his zeal for the Torah connected him to one of the most important biblical era discoveries in Israeli history. And tonight you will hear in his own words why this one discovery may change archaeology forever. Because it's the end of the sixth day. The sun is set and this is Shabbat night live. Well, Shabbat Shalom to our fans, you're gonna like this one. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. You know, to the casual Bible reader, the story of the Exodus seems pretty straightforward, but to serious students, there are some dead ends, there's some gaps in the narrative, and that leaves us with some unanswered questions. So that's where Aaron Lipkin comes in. Tonight, Aaron Lipkin helps piece together the puzzle of the Exodus story with new discoveries about Joshua's altar. It's episode one of a four-part series, The Exodus You Never Knew. And you'd never know it, but we are halfway through September already, and the fall feasts are two weeks away. Wow. <laughs> it's the third Shabbat of the sixth month on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. There you go, right there. Uh, let's see what this, what's new with our partner services director, David Robinson, and the host of the new Sunday show we've got going on on YouTube, a deep dive into the book of Jonah. Keith Johnson. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, guys. Hey, this yeah. is exciting. So he actually is going to take people into this. I mean, this this is a, a really amazing discovery. Yeah. He takes people there. And yeah, what, what was found there is what makes it really Is it video? Important. I mean, is it, or is it just pictures? He's got some pictures and stuff, but okay. uh, you go on his website and we'll talk all about that tonight. Okay. But Keith, you've been there. I've right? actually been there. And I got to wow. tell you something. I did the weirdest thing. I did a Michael. You know, you know Michael, <laughs> what I love about Michael. You know, he he's always finds ways in. And, and I found out there was a tour in an armored bust with a military escort to Joshua's altar. Why? Because there'd been some violence there. It's, it's right outside of uh, Nablus, so it's a very, very dangerous place uh, for, for, for people. So I went to the, to, the, to the, I found out where this tour was leaving from, and it was, uh, it was all in French. Oh. But the tour guide spoke in Hebrew. So I went to him and I said, hey, listen, can I go with you to, to this place? And I got to tell you something. Actually, I got goosebumps going to the place mm. where, and it's, it's his alt. It's the altar that that Joshua yeah. built. I mean, I can't wait for the show. I mean, like, yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, this is really it's, it's really neat. Yeah, wow. I love archaeology. And, yeah. and when I talked to Aaron uh, for the interview, uh, he got into this the same way I did. Just. Indiana Jones of the 80s. Wow, wouldn't right. that be cool to discover yeah, yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and then yeah, it led to yeah. things of like Expo 86 in Vancouver yeah, yeah, yeah. for me where there was all kinds of stuff It takes you back to being a kid there. again. Yeah, you know, yeah. Look, yeah. In the but woods you, looking for stuff. What's, what's most amazing about it is, and this is why we're back to this whole issue of the Bible, the Bible thumpers, uh, is that when you're, when you're reading your Bible and then you see something, that's right there. It's like the Bible. It just comes alive. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not. It's not makeup. I mean, it's right, right there. It's, you can look at it. You can see it. You can touch it. Now, feel speaking, it. Speaking of Bibles, you got one there that I would have a very hard time reading. What, what's this no, all about? Actually, that you've got here? You, you, you're, you're, you're a sandbagger because I know you know a little Hebrew. I heard you say hi. <laughs> you know some, no, a little but Hebrew. Guess what? Here's what's exciting. The reason I brought this. This is the Bible that Yeshua read. 
the language by which he read, mm -hmm. which is the Hebrew Bible. And people sometimes get overwhelmed when you say Hebrew Bible. They're like, oh, I could never, ever. Do you know that in the first seven verses of the book of Jonah, every consonant and just about every vowel that exists is in the first seven verses? So really? what we're going to be doing, what we're going to be doing is teaching people verse by verse, uh -huh. Sunday by Sunday. I think we're, by the way, folks, those that have been watching the last couple of weeks, you've, yes. been, you've been commenting, they've been, mm -hmm. you know what you can do on YouTube? You can actually share, you can share to your Facebook, you can share to YouTube, you can actually put it on your own page. You, we even made it so you can embed the video on your website. Yep. I mean, so it's, it, people are doing it, it's happening, it's great. But anyway, the first seven verses, you get a chance to learn every constant, every vowel, except for a couple final forms, in just the first seven verses. That's seven weeks. Wow. You gotta, it's, it's exciting. It's a beautiful thing. So that's every Sunday, 1, 1 p.m. Keep sharing, because we want to make this like Shabbat Night Live. We yeah. want to make this another show yeah. that you can stand up and say, hey, yeah. have you heard of these things that I've learned yeah. since I left church and you know these things I've been trying to tell you for all this time? Don't just watch Shabbat Night Live. Watch that too. But we've got this new thing on Sunday. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, I got to tell you At least something. two shows to watch. I got to tell you something. Here's the secret. Can I, you guys tell secrets on this? I mean, we can tell secrets, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. So not only, so after we do this first series, we actually got some exciting teachers, much better than me, that are also prepared to put content available on those Sundays. Oh, so cool. we got Shabbat okay. Night Live with the superstars. Michael doing what he's doing. Shabbat Night Live is great. Let's keep doing that. But let's be like sharks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> let's go out and take some more territory, more territory. and let's use, let's use this good information yep. to give people uh, this information and share it, like it. Can't say enough. Subscribe to the uh, Root Awakening channel. All of that stuff happens, and what YouTube then says is, hey, uh, this, is, this sounds like it's pretty good content, and then they share it to more people. Yep. That's how it works. Yep, exactly. That's why we need engagement from We folks. need engagement. That's what engage That's why very engagement important. is important. It yeah. really is. Now, speaking of us, uh, so engagement, moving around, going, it's like going west, young man, right? <laughs> like going west to the, to the, to the new frontier. <laughs> right, it's the new frontier. Man, have we got something for the new frontier and for the fall feast. We're going to talk about our love gift in a second, which goes perfectly with this. But we have just introduced something from a guy uh, who actually goes to, uh, to my Shabbat gathering. His mm. name is Ken. Okay. Ken created, he is a leatherman. Uh, he works uh, all kinds of leather stuff and he does window tinting and all this kind of stuff out of, mm -hmm. out of uh, Hendersonville, uh, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. He made the shofar holster. <laughs> yeah, look at that. It's a shofar holster. And we have two different kinds of that. One says shalom y'all with a little cartoon picture of Michael. And the other one has, of course, the name of Yehovah from I'm the in. Aleppo Codex. Yeah. So David, would you slip the, the shofar through there and show how the, look Put at that. In the shofar holster. Look at that. It's a, just like a gun holster. This, this great. Uh, September love gift fits perfect. <laughs> yeah, look at that. So these these are just fresh. Now, David, we have like, what, 75 of one and 25 of the other or something? I think that's what it is. Yeah. 75 of those, 25 of these. Right. So we have them both on the website. There's a website at the bottom of the screen. You go to rudeawakening.tv slash holster. You will show up to your Sabbath gathering with your shofar on your side like nothing but you got your sidearm, the sidearm that is you eternal. Have instant respect from the other people. <laughs> Absolutely. This thing is awesome. He, he, he came up with this idea all himself. Hmm. He came to us and said, hey, I got an idea for something. We took one look at this one. Oh yeah, we've got to get that. <laughs> this is there's no shofar holster anywhere else in the world. This is a an, a brand new invention yeah. mm. that's so cool that this is going to get spread everywhere. So why don't you get an original mm -hmm. like right now? Exactly. So or wait till after Shabbat, of course. Yeah. And anyways, and speaking of Shabbat, uh, you know this is Shabbat Night Live only happens because of support, right? Right. 
So we have uh, a new teaching from Aaron Lipkin, who's also teaching tonight on Shabbat Night Live, the love gift that he gave to this ministry for us to to raise funds to to do more stuff here uh, is actually his teaching as well called uh, Understanding Israel. Like David mentioned, there's a shofar, there's some other stuff involved. We have the Kai blessing uh, Mm -hmm. piece that you can hang in your home. So that is all part of the love gift this month. And it's only here for another, what, 14 days? Today's the 16th, so it's good for two more weeks and then that's it. So the shofar is gonna go away, the shofar holsters are still gonna be here. but these will always be available. Yeah, so but why don't you get it now for the fall feast? I mean, that's what we want to do is get Get you ready for the fall feast. They're coming in two weeks. Can you believe that? I can't. Yom Teruah is in two weeks. I can't, so you need your shofar to use uh, for the feast days. Absolutely, yeah. All right, so now we're going to take a look at what we're going to see from Aaron tonight. Here it is. When you find a, a, such an, an, an important site that proves the veracity of the historical accounts in Deuteronomy and Joshua, um, that undermines the academic world. All right, so there you go. So that's Aaron Lipkin, some very interesting information about what is happening in Israel and the fines, and even how maybe you can go there and find out some of this stuff with Aaron, so great stuff. All right, so Israeli resident and tour operator, Aaron Lipkin embarked on a mission to solve the mysteries of the Bible, of Exodus specifically. What he found were answers to questions he didn't know how to ask. So (laughs) episode one of the Exodus You Never Knew is up next right after the Kiddush with Michael. So get your bread and wine and we'll see you right back here in a sec. Folks around these parts tell me you're pretty quick with that shofar. I am. And that's a a mighty purdy holster you got there. You sure you can uh, make me one? I am. (laughs) Dude, why do you keep saying I am? It's the name of God, dude. Yehovah, you know, I am. Oh. Uh, There's only one problem with that, partner. You see, this Sabbath gathering ain't big enough for two shofar. Are you saying we should draw? I am. Israel has a complicated history. Wars, political tensions, and moving borders have created animosity among neighbors who were once friends. Israel resident and tour operator Aaron Lipkin gives us a local's perspective on Israel's history and how current events are shaping its future. When you separate the populations in in these different political agreements and you create this ignorance and this hatred, then that's what you get. Understanding Israel with Aaron Lipkin examines what can be done and how Yehovah's plan will restore relationships to bring all people under his reign in the promised land. This special teaching is Michael Rood's gift to thank you for supporting a Rood Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in September, we'll send you Understanding Israel on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you two gifts. Understanding Israel with Aaron Lipkin 
plus an authentic ram's horn shofar from Israel. Just in time for the fall feasts. Donate $300 and we'll send you three gifts. Understanding Israel with Aaron Lipkin, the ram's horn shofar, and a custom-made wall hanging from Israel, handcrafted in the shape of the word chai, meaning life in Hebrew. This beautiful keepsake contains semi-precious stones from Israel and a blessing for everyone who enters your home. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support a Rood Awakening International in September. Hurry, supplies are limited. Call 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. The Apostle Paul said that Yeshua nailed the dogmas, the doctrines and commandments of men, of the arche and exousia, that he overcame, that he nailed their commandments, their man-made dogmas to the cross. And because of that, we are not to allow any of the arche and exousia, any of the religious authorities of men who made up their own commandments to judge us because every one of the feasts of the Lord are prophetic shadow pictures of good things to come. So don't let any pagan, let no religious authority judge you concerning the Sabbath, the new moons. And on the Sabbath, we do not allow the world to judge us and tell us what to do. We know that Yeshua paid the price for us. And the last night he was with his disciples when he took the bread and he blessed the Most High with this blessing. Baruch atah Yehovah, Heleno Melech HaOlam, Hamotzi Lechem Hinaretz. He said, this represents my body, which is now broken for you. As often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of him. And then Yeshua took the cup and he said, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood. This is what this represents. This is what it's always represented. Do this in remembrance of me. And he said that prayer, Baruchatah Yehovah Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Pari Hagafen. Blessed are you, Yahweh, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And he said, do this in remembrance of me and don't let anyone disparage you. Do this until I come again because I have made you priests and kings. Shabbat Shalom. I have on the desk here something a little different. In a paper cup, it's this beautiful thing called Turkish coffee. It is so good. And I only have it here because of our guest today. Please welcome Aaron Lipkin. Aaron, welcome to Shabbat Night Live. Shalom, Scott. Thank you for having me. You know, other than making uh, beautiful coffee, which you brought, uh, you brought your own kettle <laughs> from Israel. Uh, you are from Israel, and uh, I think we just should introduce you to our folks. Uh, you live in uh, Ofra. Samaria. Uh, tell us about that. It has some history, that town. Yeah, so <clears throat> I was born and raised in Jerusalem, 
And um, after meeting my wife in the Israeli army, we were in intelligence. Um, we moved to Samaria, to a town, the first Jewish town that was established after the Six-Day War in 1967, mm. uh, in a region called Samaria, which is the biblical heartland of Israel. And we've been living there for 22 years. It's a, a Jewish community, a religious Jewish community. Um, and, you know, as a city boy coming from Jerusalem, for me it was a big surprise that, you know, I actually knew, know all my neighbors and we're good friends and we eat at each other's houses, a real community. So, um, so I'm really, really blessed to be able to live there. And but I think most importantly, to be to be living where the Bible happened. Mm. You know, so many people come to Israel. They go to Jerusalem. They go to the Galilee, but they don't go to the places where the the, the, the Bible actually happened. You know, cities like Hebron and Bethel and Shiloh. Mount Ibal, Mount Gerizim, are usually not on the tourism map. And so, you know, when, when, we, when we live there and we are surrounded by these sites, it's kind of like we're surrounded by God. We're surrounded mm. by the patriarchs, by, by all these stories. And it's, it's truly, truly a blessing. And you take uh, tours there. We're going to get into all kinds of topics, but uh, number one, you, you take tours of that area, and really it's like showing people around your hometown. You, you've lived there. You know the areas. Right, right. And, and we bring them into Ofra, and I take them up to a lookout point. And I just, you know, I just, from that point, I can, I can point to, to several locations, several sites that are connected to biblical events in the Bible. Uh, they're just at the tip of our finger. It's, it's just amazing. You know, I point out at, at the, the, the village, the Arab village of Bitin, which is biblical Bethel, where Jacob dreamed the dream of the ladder, um, and, and where Jeroboam built, you know, the, the pagan temple. And then I point at the Arab village of Der Dibuan, where Elisha brought the two bears out of the forest to kill the people that insulted him. Uh, Abraham stood on a, a tall mountain nearby. So everything's just around us. This is the, the, the volcano, the, the tip of the volcano of the Bible. Mm, wonderful. Well, we're gonna, like I said, we're gonna talk more about that but if folks have never uh, seen your ministry or heard uh, of you, we're going to talk about some very interesting uh, topics here on Shabbat Night Live. But you are what you called, <laughs> I said, well, how should we refer to you? And you said, I am an archaeological nerd. Exactly. <laughs> Not an archaeologist, <laughs> but so what's the difference here? What, what, what is the interest? Well, it all started with Indiana Jones. <laughs> mm. uh, you know, like, like every kid in the 1980s and 90s, uh, watching this series, uh, we, I just uh, fell in love with the concept that I'm sure that there are archaeological finds that are connected to the stories in the Bible. You know, it's like it was part of my 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 life as a child, um, and uh, and you know, as a, as a as a as a Jew living in Jerusalem and, and being brought up in a, in, a, in a family that was that was very, very, had a very strong belief in God and in the historicity of the Bible. Um, I truly believe that, that that Bible describes the history of my people. Uh, unfortunately, when I went to high school, that was the first time that I encountered a, a different narrative for the mm -hmm. Bible. I remember going into my high school Bible class and uh, my teacher is coming to us and she says, we're going to learn the book of Genesis and I'm, I love Genesis, I know Genesis. And then she starts saying things that I didn't know. She said, the, the first chapters of creation are actually mythologies. These are stories that came from Assyria and Babylon and the Israelites kidnapped those mythologies and adopted them to monotheism. 
and I'm standing there and I can't believe my ears. I mean, I, I truly believe in the stories of creation, that, that, that God created things every day and that he rested on the Sabbath. And suddenly my Jewish teacher in a school in Jerusalem in the land of Israel is telling me that I'm believing in fairy tales. Um, and then, you know, the next lesson is how the, the five books of Moses were written by different scribes in different periods of time, hundreds of years after the supposedly time of Moses and Joshua. I'm just listening to this and, and, and I'm, so, I'm so angry that this is going on. And, and, you know, when I was in university working at a lawyer's office, this, this, this girl approached me and she said, Aaron, I'm learning archeology span in the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And I see that you're religious. So I wanna tell you that uh, the Exodus never happened and that Moses and Joshua never existed. It's all, it's all made up. It's all a fairy tale. She, the academic world for, for many years, 40, 40, 50 years, has been teaching our children that Judaism and Christianity are based on a huge lie. And so, you know, I, I had this, this anger inside of me saying, to, saying that this, this could not continue. There has to be evidence, some evidence for the stories in the Bible. And I think God heard me and he wanted to, to you know, to <laughs> make me feel better. <laughs> and uh, and that's, that's how he brought me to meet one of the people that really affected my life, professor of archeology, span Adam Zertal from the Haifa University. I'm walking one day in Jerusalem and I see an advertisement that professor of archeology span from the Haifa University, Adam Zertal, is going to be speaking about his discovery of Joshua's altar. And I'm looking at this, this is probably 2006, 2007, and I can't believe my eyes, a professor of archeology, span someone who's supposedly denying the historicity of the Bible, is going to talk about a site that is identified with a biblical event early on from the time of Joshua. So I said, I have to go, I have to listen to this guy. And I went there and I fell in love with him and I fell in love with his team. And since then I, I was part of it. And, and what, what I do is I go all around the world and I speak in synagogues and churches and conferences about the amazing findings of Professor Zertal. Wow. Well, that sounds uh, a lot like um, uh, Ron Wyatt, who is not, he, he was a nurse anesthetist uh, working in hospitals, but he would save up all his money. He, he lived in a, a duplex. Uh, I know his, his uh, widow quite well. Mm -hmm. And he would live in a duplex, uh, which was a very cheap, cheap way to live, so that he could save his money and just go back to Israel, go back to Turkey, go back to all these places <laughs> and, and look for some more, uh, where God was telling him where to look for things. So uh, I, I totally believe in uh, being an archeological nerd <laughs> instead, of, instead of just being a, a true up uh, archeologist because of the things they are teaching in our colleges. My daughter goes to college and uh, even just filling out the forms, uh, she's about to go into a doctorate school, even filling out the forms, I, uh, you know, she was having some issues. And I said, well, let me call the registrar's office and help it help straighten this out for you. She says, Dad, you can't call. They will not answer your questions because what they're trying to do is separate families. The children cannot have help from the parents. The parents are forbidden from calling the school. And this is what, what you've experienced as well. There's this whole separation of, we shall not learn about God's truth. It's all a lie. You cannot have family. It's us and you. Push your parents away. It's all of this separation of family trying to get the youth to 
stop believing in God, stop believing in family. I agree, and, and, and I think that, that the, the problem, I think the main problem is that the, the academic world has invented this world, this word called objectivity or being scientific. And what we're really dealing with are professors that belong to a religion called atheism. And that religion denies God, denies providence, denies miracles, denies the, the history and the heritage of the Jews and the Christians. And, and we have to understand that we're not sending our children to um, institutions that are going to give them scientific truths. They're going to be indoctrinated to, to go against God and to go against <clears throat> our faith. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's why it's so important that when evidence is discovered, when, when things come out of the, of, the, of the earth, of the land, and they do prove and they do show that the Bible is documenting real historical events, that this has to come to the knowledge of all the Bible believers all around the world. This is our weapon, this is our tool. Right, we have to understand even just the, the word university means of one mind, university, mm -hmm. one verse, one mind. They are, they are trying to corral everyone into this, uh, this idea. Like you said, it's, 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 it's a, a monotheistic <laughs> flavor of its own, but it has nothing to do with our God. Right. It is the God of human knowledge. Exactly. And, and all that type of thing. So, so to break out of this, uh, you use the real sites that are in Israel that prove the veracity of the Bible. Uh, and you've said that uh, Joshua's altar is one of those uh, uh, sites that really prove this. So uh, tell us about Joshua's altar. Okay, uh, so first of all, you know, we discussed my town, Ophrah. So yeah. Ophrah is in an area called Samaria, which is the biblical heartland of Israel. This is all the major sites in the book of Genesis and, and, and the rest of the books in Joshua and Judges. This is the area that all the biblical stories are happening in. Now, one of the claims of the academic world is that you know, these stories never happen because there's an absence of evidence. Mm -hmm. The problem is that for many years, the area that we're talking about was never thoroughly researched by archeologists. In other words, how can you claim that there's an absence of evidence if you never really looked for them? You understand? Mm -hmm. this, this is another proof in my eyes that we're talking about an agenda and not about real science. And uh, you know, in, the 19, in 1967, Israel liberates Judea and Samaria, unite, unites Jerusalem, and the area that we're talking about is suddenly open for archeological research. And so a young atheist professor uh, from a kibbutz, a left-wing uh, you know, town uh, by the name of Adam Zertal, um, is assigned a certain area in Samaria and the area of the Jordan Valley. This is someone, you know, Professor Zertal was not a Bible believer, he didn't believe in God. He was taught that the stories in the Bible are a fairy tale. So he's really coming in without any bias. He's, he's, he's just coming in to document ancient sites in the area that was allocated for him. And so, you know, one day, this is 1980, they're doing a survey of the, the mountain, Mount Eval in Samaria. And you have to understand, Adam Zertal is not looking for anything biblical, he's just documenting. And suddenly he bumps into a mysterious compound that looks like a footprint. Uh, he goes in, he sees thousands of pieces of pottery sherds that he identifies as Israelite. Um, and at, the, at the, the highest spot of that footprint structure is a pile of stone. 
he's really curious and he wants to excavate there. So, so when you say, let me pause yeah, for a second. Okay. So when you say a footprint structure, it is literally looks, it's the shape of a foot? Yes. Uh, okay. Zert one of the findings of Zertal uh, are, are, are six mysterious footprint structures that were built by the Israelite culture, the Israelite civilization. Uh, and you know, there are many questions what they are and what do they serve, and we're going to be speaking about that. Uh, but, but one of those footprint structures is actually found on the slopes of Mount Eval in a remote area that nobody ever visited or checked or, or, or went to. Mm. And, uh, and so you know, this, this, this huge pile of stone, and Israel has a lot of pile of stones, believe me. <laughs> but this one was inside this mysterious compound there was so much pottery sherds mixed in those in that pile of stone. And Zertel said, I have to come and excavate. And he comes in 1982. He excavates it from 1982 till 1989. And what he basically does is he peels off the, the outer layer of stone and, and a mysterious structure emerges out of that pile of stone. A, a structure made of field stones uh, with, with this rectangular box um, that was sealed with a floor on the top of it, and leading to it was a ramp and two secondary ramps on both sides. Uh, and Zertal is looking at this, he doesn't know what it is, and, and like every archeologist, he wants to excavate from top to bottom. So he opens the ceiling, the, 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 uh, the floor that was sealing that box of stone, and he discovers about around six feet of ashes and bones. Uh, inside this box. Okay, this is a remote place. There's no village there. This is a, a, a closed box with, with filled with bones and ashes. Uh, he sends the bones to be analyzed in the Hebrew University. Results come in. All the bones belong to a very specific list of animals, goats, sheep, oxes, cows, deers. But the interesting thing is the bones that weren't found there no pig bones, no donkey bones, no horse bones. Mm. And you have to understand that this is a very typical um, a, a, a finding to, for Israelite sites. When you excavate Canaanite sites or Philistine sites, there's also, there are always 20, 30% of bones of these non-kosher animals. Mm. But here, you, that's very unique for the Israelite culture. He continues on excavating, he finds Egyptian jewelry, Egyptian scarabs dating the site to the time of Pharaoh Thutmose III, the year 1400 uh, BCE. This is an ancient site. You know, when mm -hmm. we talk about the United States, we talk about a history of 300 years, 400 years. In, in Israel, suddenly we're talking about a site that was used 3,400 years ago. Mm. That's crazy. Uh, and so, you know, Zertal is looking at this structure. He doesn't know what it is. And he's looking, you know, in libraries to find any parallels in the Egyptian culture, the Assyrian, the Babylonian, and he can't find anything that looks like this. So, you know, one day he sketches the diagram of that site, and a, and a, and a religious Jew passes by and sees this, and he says, Professor Zertal, is this what you found on Mount Eval? And Zertal says, yes, and I don't know what it is. I looked everywhere. Mm -hmm. There's one place he didn't look, right? The Bible? The Bible, because that's, that's, an, that's a document that in his eyes is not historical, it's not valid, you can't really rely on it. Sure, he's an atheist, yeah. So, so you know, this religious Jew suddenly is all excited, he runs away, comes back with a book. This book is a book that was written at the Second Temple period, after the Second Temple period, it's called the Mishnah. And he opens it and he shows Zertal a picture of the Second Temple altar 
This is during the time of Jesus, okay? This is a second temple altar. He shows the diagram of that monument and Zertal is looking at this and he's looking at the, this, this weird structure that he found on Mount Eval and they are similar. They're, they're the mm. exact, the same structure. And Zertal, Zertal's world collapses because for the first time in his life, he sees a, a valid historical document that shows that what he found is an Israelite altar. And from that point on, everything started connecting. He's looking at this religious Jew and he's saying, this is an Israelite altar on Mount Eval. This has to be Joshua's altar. This is, this is the, the only altar we ever found in Israel that, that's like that. Mm. And it's on Mount Eval. And, and if this is Joshua's altar, then Joshua existed and Moses existed and the Exodus happened. And that religious Jew is looking at him and saying, of course, what do you mean? Of course it <laughs> happened. But that point in time totally changed Professor Zertal. Mm. And when he came to speak to our groups that, that visited Joshua's altar, he, I would always present him as the born again archeologist. <laughs> because that, that point in time totally changed his life and his perspective. And you know, you would assume that the academic world uh, after this discovery would come and say, we were sorry, we were wrong. We were teaching false teachings for 40, 50 years. It didn't happen. Wow. Too many books were written, too many careers were, were built on this false teaching. And, uh, and another thing that happened was the team of Zertal was prevented from getting any grants or any, any, any uh, funding to continue their research. Uh, and, and Zertal was so disappointed. Well, now, why did that happen? Is it that for that same reason that no one wanted yes. anything religious yes. found? When you find a, a, such an, an, an important site that proves the veracity of the historical accounts in Deuteronomy and Joshua, um, that undermines the academic world. Mm. It, it, it destroys, you know, years and years of teaching and, and just changes everything. But it goes against the agenda, the atheist religion mm. that we just spoke about. Uh, and, and, but there's another problem. And the problem is that, that we're talking about a region, Samaria, that is uh, uh, politically a hotspot. In other words, uh, you know, this is the area that's also called the West Bank. So ah. uh, who, if you're a left-wing leaning Israeli professor, you want this site to be out from Israel. You want it to be Palestinian. You want it to be Muslim. You don't want Jews to be living there. Um, and so, you know, if there's a, a site that strengthens the bond between the Jewish people and that area, the biblical heartland of Israel, you want to you want to try and prevent that. So I think it's political, and it's also you know an atheist agenda. And these two things prevented our team from the continuing research of Joshua's altar. Wow. Well, we'll come back with more. That's, uh, this is fascinating. I, I, I love learning about this, and it's, it's, you know, there are agendas everywhere against us, and we just need to keep fighting back against that because that is the still small voice of our Father in heaven who is saying, this is the way. Here's the proof of my word. So we just need to keep listening for that. We're going to talk more about that in a second. So thank you for bringing Aaron here. It is because of your donations that we have him here. Uh, someone donated in the past so you could see him today. We ask you to consider doing that again so that someone can see this into the future. Thank you. We'll give you a couple minutes. And thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. Before the break, we were talking about uh, Joshua's altar. And uh, Aaron, we were talking about uh, how things had happened from 1982 to 1989. 
So what's happened since 1989? So unfortunately, the academic world totally ignored this finding, which obviously had uh, severe ramifications on the uh, false teachings of the academic world about the historicity of the Bible. Um, and also because the site is in Samaria, which is an area that is disputed politically, uh, the left-leaning academic world uh, tried to push away any uh, research that would prove that there is a connection between the Jewish people and the biblical heartland of Israel, believe it or not. Um, and so this site was kind of forgotten and deserted. Uh, and also during the 1990s, Israel signed a, a peace agreement with the Palestinian Authority. And uh, suddenly the altar was moved from Israeli control to Palestinian control. So Israeli archaeologists that would, would be interested in continuing the research of Joshua's altar were not able to continue because the altar mm. is no longer under Israeli control and the Palestinians won't let them research it. So um, this continued on and I think that, you know, I'm there on a weekly basis with visitors and I'm seeing how the structure is deteriorating. Uh, there is Islamic vandalism, they come and they spray graffiti on the altar, um, they burn tires inside the altar, they, they sit on the structure and push stones with their feet and, and just ruining the site. And I'm going there every week and I'm just crying. It's, I can't understand how such an important biblical site was deserted by the Israeli government and is not being protected from Islamic uh, uh, vandalism. And, uh, and so I had to do something. I, I, just, I just couldn't stand aside and, and be quiet. And I, I approached a, a Texan archeologist, uh, Dr. Scott Stripling. Uh, he's from Houston and he currently excavates in ancient Shiloh. Mm. By the way, there's another, another interesting discovery that's going to be in the news very soon from that excavation. In any case, I approach Scott Stripling and I say, Scott, there's a site I wanna take you to. It's called Joshua's Altar. Have you ever been there? He said, no. And I said, let's go. And we go to Joshua's Altar and uh, he walks around and I see how the love for that site is conquering his heart. And then I say to Scott, Scott, what can we do? How can we uh, advance the research of the altar? And Scott says, Aaron, I can't do anything. This is an area, Area B, under our, uh, the, 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 the archaeological supervision of the Palestinian Authority. Uh, but what we can do is we can do a, a, an extraction of the archaeological dump from the 1980s. Mm. Adam Zertal, in the 1980s, when he sifted the materials that he took out of the altar, he did not use water. When you use water, when you use a technique called wet sifting, you find so many, so much more findings in the analysis. And Zertal didn't do that. So, so Scott said, Aaron, there's a good chance that if we wet sift the materials that we're going to extract from this site, we might find something that Zertal missed. So, you know, when a Texan tells you to do something, you say, yeehaw. <laughs> so um, uh, we spoke to the Israeli army, we spoke to the authorities, um, and um, I, I, we, we came there at four in the morning with volunteers. And I remember, you know, putting my phylacteries and my prayer shawl and praying to God 
to give us this amazing finding. You know, the sun was, was setting, the sun was, was, was rising above the Jordanian mountains. And, and I just prayed to God that he would give us something. And so we extracted the materials. We went there three times, four in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning, the army comes and says, enough is enough, and we leave. And uh, eventually we had the considerable amount of the dump in a secure location at a township called Shavei Shamron. Scott Stripling comes with his crew. This is December of 2019. They establish the wet sifting stations and they start working. One day I get a phone call. Scott is calling me and he says, Aaron, we found something. Come quickly. I go into my car, I drive, I approach Scott. He opens his hand and I see this small piece of metal in his hand. And I don't know what it is. And I'm saying, Scott, you know, explain to me. I'm not an archaeologist. What is this thing? And he says, Aaron, it's too early to say, but it's a piece of metal that we found in the dump. And because Joshua's altar is a site that was used only once in history during the Israelite period, there's a good chance that that piece of metal is from that time. So they send this out to the Hebrew University and they, they, what they see is basically a strip of metal, of lead, that was folded. So they try to open it and it starts breaking, so they stop. And we send the tablet to the Czech Republic, to the Academy of Sciences, and they have a special CAT scan technology called tomography. And what they do is they scan the outside and the inside of that lead strip and we're starting to receive thousands of scans from the different layers yeah. of that small piece of lead. And I get a call from Scott. Scott says, Aaron, we are identifying ancient Hebrew letters. Mm. I was shocked. This is, you have to understand, this is, this is more than I ever wished for. And, um, and a few months later, Scott says, Aaron, we're doing a press conference and uh, we're going to expose the full text inside that lead tablet. And um, what we're going to show now is a, a small part of the press conference. You can see it in full in, on YouTube. But what you're going to see is, is Scott Stripling exposing the text that, that was uh, inside and outside of the tablet. First of all, I'd like to say a word about Aaron Lipkin. It was Aaron and I who originally dreamed or brainstormed this idea on the last day of the Shiloh excavation in 2019. And um, it was going to take someone on that end to logistically help pull things off, to, to relocate the dump material and just do so many logistical things. And so Aaron and I dreamed about this. And um, so it was that initial collaboration that was key to bringing this to fruition. So thank you, Aaron. Working on the inside of the tablet, <clears throat> we recovered 40 Hebrew letters. And uh, this is in a script that we would call proto-alphabetic script. Uh, sometimes if it's from the, the Sinai, it's referred to as proto-Sinaitic, or sometimes folks would refer to this as proto-Canaanite. We will call it proto-alphabetic script. 11 of these letters are Alephs, the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and they are all the archaic form. This is older than Paleo-Hebrew. This precedes, predates Paleo-Hebrew. And so you have an ox head that is morphing into, into an aleph. And in the 23-word English translation, which you're looking at, the word curse, arur in Hebrew, appears 10 times. And 
ladies and gentlemen, the name Yahweh appears twice. We now have the name Yahweh, the, the biblical God of Israel, in an inscription dating from LB2, which is earlier than many skeptics would argue that the Bible existed or that there was even the ability to write down a sacred text. Okay, this is uh, Stuart Peck from Appian Media. Yes, we did excavate through about 30% of the material, Stu, and uh, we would love to excavate through more, and um, hopefully we will have generous donors that will enable us to do that. Uh, this, this is all, of course, a very expensive process, and we would love to do more work on Mount Ebal uh, in the future. This was the test, if you will, to find out what was in the dump piles, and we... Uh, the day that Aaron Lipkin and I, last day we went to look at the site to inaugurate the project, as we pulled away and stopped and looked back, uh, it had rained a little earlier and there was a rainbow over the altar. And uh, instead of a pot of gold, we found a pot of lead at the end of the rainbow. Wow. Okay. So, so what do we make of this? Okay. What are we supposed to do with this? Okay. So first of all, the, the, the text... Is, is, is revolutionary. It's amazing. Um, it, it, you know, for us as Bible believers, to find a, a text that, that has a curse inscription on the mountain of curse, according to the book of Deuteronomy, Mount Eval, that's not surprising, okay? We believe that the stories in the Bible really happen, so there's a good chance that we'll find Israelite inscriptions with, curse, with a curse on it on the mountain of curse. But in the academic world, this text is a nuclear bomb. This destroys all the, the, the everything from the, the from archaeology to linguistic studies of of the Israelite language, of the Hebrew language. All of this has to be rewritten now. Um, but but before we go into that, I want to read the text, the 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 updated text, because what we just saw in the press conference is the initial results of the analysis of the text. And what I'm going to read now is the, the updated and probably final version of that curse. Uh, I'll read it in Hebrew first. Okay. And I'm not going to say the name of the Lord because Jews are really revere the name of Hashem. So I'm going to say Hashem, the name instead of the Lord or the name of the, of the Lord. So it goes like this, this is in Hebrew. Ata Arur Lael Hashem Arur Tamut Arur Arur Mot Tamut Arur Ata Lehashem Arur. This is in Hebrew, in English. You are cursed by the God Hashem. Cursed, you will die. Cursed, cursed, you will surely die. Cursed, you are by Hashem. Cursed. Mm. Now, why would this turn? The, the academic world upside down. It just seems like we're saying cursed, cursed over again. Uh, so in my Western mindset, I say, well, so what? So I'll, I'll start with the most important thing. And the fact that the most important thing is that the name YHW, the name of the Lord, appears for the first time in the land of Israel at such an early period. Mm. Uh, one of the understandings of the academic world is that, that the, the Israelites, this is what was taught in universities, the Israelites were pagans, they worshipped a Canaanite god called El, and the worship of the Lord, YHW, only came in centuries after Joshua and Moses. Mm. So that's why the whole appearance of the name in Exodus, in Genesis, is an, an, a late a, a, a text that was that was invented in the time of King Josiah. Mm. 
So now for the first time, we have a, a text bearing the name of the Lord, YHW, in the land of Israel during the time of Joshua and Moses. Uh, I think this is probably the most, the most revolutionary discovery. Another thing is that we have both names of God, L and YHW, on the same text. And again, this goes totally against that understanding that L came before YHW and there was a big gap between them. So now we find a text that includes both names on the same text, again, at the time of Joshua and Moses, which corresponds with the biblical text. Mm. So, so again, for us Bible believers, it's not a big deal, but in the academic world, this is something that totally undermines uh, archaeology, linguism, um, you know, all the, all the sciences that speak about ancient Israel. Uh, the, but the, I think that, that what the, the, the big question that we need to ask ourselves is, is this tablet part of the ceremony of the blessings and the curses? Okay, because what we have here is a curse text in the singular form. So, you know, after this is published in full, one of these Bible denier professors might come and say, oh, this is a curse by an Israelite woman on her husband. A really angry Israelite, you know, because it's in the singular form. But when we read Deuteronomy 27, where the, the, the ceremony is described in details by Moses, we see very interesting similarities to this text, but also to the lead tablet itself. Uh, let's talk a bit about the lead tablet first. Um, the analysis shows that a scribe 3,500 years ago is taking a piece of lead, he's writing, he's engraving on one side with a stylus, so it comes in and it goes out. We have a negative and a positive. And then he flips the lead tablet and he writes the same text again on the lower part of that lead strip, strip of lead. And then he folds it. Mm. So what we have here is a, a, a text that was folded. Professor Gershon Galil, who analyzed the text, says that the folding, the action of folding in the ancient Middle East is a clear sign of a legal document. Okay. In other words, this is not a, an amulet that was put by an angry woman that wanted to curse her husband. Okay, this is, this is a legal declaration. So this is like a king putting his seal in exactly. the wax. Exactly, of. exactly. Now, what we have is um, six aru, six cursed, the word cursed on one side and six cursed on the other. When we read the book of Deuteronomy, we see six tribes standing on one side of the mountain, six tribes standing on the other. Okay, so this, this might be some kind of a physical symbolism of the ceremony itself. When we read the book of Deuteronomy, we have 12 curses and we have 12 aru on the tablet. There's so many similarities going on here. But for me personally, as a, a, a religious Jew, I think what tr truly blows me away is the script itself. The Hebrew letters that we see on that tablet are not modern Hebrew as we know it today. It's not even First Temple Hebrew, uh, which totally looks different. It's, it's called Phoenician or Paleo-Hebrew. The, the type of script that is on this tablet is the earliest form of Hebrew. It's called hieroglyphic Hebrew or proto-alphabetic Hebrew. 
what we're basically seeing, and our, our, our um, audience can see it on the, on the screen now, the second line from the top is the earliest Hebrew script. Each letter, each Hebrew letter has a, a picture to it. For example, the letter Yud is a Yad, a hand. Uh, the letter Daled is a fish, a dug. Okay, so this is, this is how the Israelites first wrote. And so when I'm seeing this tablet from the time of Joshua and Moses, I'm saying to myself, oh my God, the Torah that was given on Mount Sinai was written with this script, mm. not the script that we read today in synagogues on these parchments and scrolls. Um, for me, that was mind blowing. Another thing that's interesting is that the, 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 the text is read sometimes from right to left, but sometimes from left to right. So the, the, the direction wasn't standardized at the time. Oh, really? So for me, again, that's, that's a big revelation. I mean, you know, the academic world knows that already from other texts that were found in the land of Israel and outside. But for me, that's a big uh, revolution, okay? And so, uh, you know, audience now can see the, uh, the, the name of God, the name of the Lord, YHW, as it appears on the tablet and what we see here is a man standing at the middle of that word with his hands in the air and on both sides we have the yud and the vav okay the name of the lord yhw so you know it, when i'm looking at this i'm i'm seeing the name of the lord as, as it was given to moses and joshua and the israelites and, and, I'm, and when i'm seeing this i'm starting started to get these insights and, I, and, and if we have time i want to share that insight one of the most important things in the in the jewish prayer and synagogue is the aaronic blessing it's the priestly blessing and uh, what the priests are doing is they're standing in front of the congregation they're standing like this with their hands yeah, and they're blessing the congregation now why are they doing that they're doing that because it says in the book of exodus you will put my name on the israelites okay that they, there is a clear commandment to put the name mm. on the israelites so I've, I've never really thought about it, but suddenly now that I see the name of the Lord as it appears on the tablet, I understand that what the priests are doing is actually to make the name of the Lord on their body as if they're standing. This is the letter Hey, and you have two hands on both sides representing the two letters of the name of the Lord. And they're physically showing the name of the Lord to the congregation. And that's something that is, that for me, blows me away. <laughs> I had never thought of that. That's amazing. Wow. Well, we have a lot more to talk about. We have uh, some, some books we haven't even talked about here in front of us. We have a lot more subjects to talk about. So I think we need to have you back for a couple of weeks. <laughs> well, would that be all right? Yeah. Okay, I think, I think we could probably do that. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. And we uh, pray that you will join us next week for more from Aaron Lipkin. Uh, and... Until then, Shavua Tov. Have a great week. Maybe rewatch this fascinating stuff, and we'll see you next week on Shabbat Night Live. <music>